This morning, I'm just drawn to this passage that we've heard read from Philippians 2. It is another one of these magnificent passages in the New Testament that talk to us about Christ, the theology of Christ, the whole mystery and majesty of God becoming man and incarnate and having lived among us and some of the complexities that have to do with that. So it's a magnificent passage about Christ, but it's also a passage about us. (laughs) What do you think of that? (laughs) It's a passage about us. Now, how do you know that? Well, the word let, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So all that we read following that about Christ is actually a pattern that is to describe our lives. And you know, that's a secret in reading and studying the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Whenever we come across a command form, we are then responsible So we see this in the teaching of Jesus. We see this in the teaching of the apostles. All this magnificent truth about God, we all need to know that. But then come the command forms. In light of all this truth, this is how you are to respond. So we have a responsibility here, not just to read these magnificent theological passages about Christ and seek to understand them, but we have a responsibility to apply them, to follow them, to invite them to form the life that we are living as Christians. What is the mind of Christ? Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. What is this mind of Christ? Well, I've got three things to highlight, more than these three, but let me highlight three things. Three components of the mind of Christ. Number one, he emptied himself. Christ emptied himself. Now, that alone triggers all kind of theological discussions. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus emptied himself of any of his deity. For Jesus to become authentically human does not mean that he became less God during the time of his sojourn on earth. So whatever the emptying means, it doesn't mean that he became less God, fully God and fully man. But at the same time, for the eternal God to become man involves mystery. For example, today, Jesus is omnipresent. That means he's with us. He's with believers in Syria. He's with believers in Egypt. He's with believers in China. He's everywhere. But when he was on earth, was he omnipresent? Well, no. He was in a human body. An example. So whatever that means, Jesus emptied himself. But the important thing is not to understand all the mystery. The important thing is to understand what that means for us. What does it mean to empty ourselves? What does it mean for Jesus to empty himself? Well, one thing it means is Jesus surrendered the independent exercise of his will. He yielded his will. He yielded himself to the will of the Father. Now, In that alone, there is profound truth. The original sin of humanity was the self-life. There are more than one way to describe that. But the original sin was we were created to live in fellowship with God, in submission to God. Even that word submission, when we hear that word submission, it triggers something within us. There's something within us that says, I don't want to submit. That's the heart of the damage that is in us because of our rebellion against God. We pushed back from God. We said to God, look, I don't want this intimate relationship with you. I want to go my own way. 
And of course, God allowed us to do that. But unfortunately, him allowing us to do that confronted us with the consequences of that decision. So Jesus, in emptying himself, surrendered the independent exercise of his own will. He submitted his will to the Father. Now this, we could get into a whole series right now of the relationships within the Trinity. But if we can catch a glimpse of those relationships, we know how human life is designed to be lived. The members of the Trinity submit to one another in love. The Father submits to the Son. The Son didn't just submit to the Father. The Father submits to the Son. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The Father submitted to the Son. The Son submitted to the Holy Spirit. It is good for you that I would go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. The Holy Spirit submits to the Son. The Holy Spirit works to glorify Jesus, and Jesus gets all the glory, and often the Holy Spirit doesn't get any glory, and the Holy Spirit doesn't sit around saying, look, all this work I'm doing, and I'm not getting any of the glory. The Persons of the Trinity submit to one another. So this is what Jesus did in emptying himself, part of the mind of Christ. He humbled himself. We could also get into a whole series of teaching on humility. It's sad that humility is so inaccessible to our understanding. Humility is actually easy to understand. Humility is simply living in harmony with what is true. That's all it is. What is true about God and what is true about me? So this is really key. Another tangent. Be careful, George. This is really key because humility is not self-hatred. Self-hatred will not produce humility. Self-hatred produces arrogance. Arrogant people hate themselves. People who hate themselves will act arrogantly. So to know who I really am, I realize that I am this magnificent being created in the image of God. So humility is filled with human dignity and respect. But I also know that although I'm a glorious human being, I'm a fallen human being, I'm a broken human being, I'm a rebellious human being that carries within me the effects of sin. So humility is knowing what is true about me and knowing what is true about the Father that produces humility. You say, well, George, how can, I, how can I get some of this humility? Learn to live in the presence of God. In the presence of God, humility is formed. Because in the presence of God, I experience what is true about God and about me. So Jesus emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he became obedient. Oh, brothers and sisters, a danger in the Christian life is that we hear too much about faith without understanding all the richness of what faith is. Faith is expressed by obedience. Faith has to be expressed. And obedience is central to who Jesus was. He lived a life of obedience. And obedience is central to living the life that Jesus taught. We learn to obey. We learn to walk in his ways. Why? Because we gradually, slowly come to understand the magnificence of his ways, the beauty of his ways, the healing of his ways, the desirability of his ways. So that's the mind of Christ. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient. The mind of Christ is Christ-likeness. <laughs> That's what the mind of Christ is. Now, next point. 
This is a point for New Year's Day. This is a point that has to do with New Year's resolutions. Are you ready? We cannot choose Christ-likeness directly. We can't just sit here and say, okay, now I'm going to choose to be Christ-like. That's why the standard response to New Year's resolutions is we don't keep them. They, they, they produce failure. Why? Because we have a wrong understanding of the will. Now, the will is incredibly important, but the will can be trumped. The will can be overridden. The will can be overridden by emotion. The will can be overridden by the soul. The real will can be overridden by the body. So to think that the Christian life is, here is the truth, exercise your will and do it, leads to failure. It's a misunderstanding of discipleship. It's a misunderstanding of the message of Jesus. We've missed the message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is not about, in the first instance, how I am to behave. The message of Jesus, in the first instance, is how do I become the kind of person who obeys? So Christ-likeness is not in the first instance about behavior. In the first instance, it's about the person I'm becoming on the inside. I become the kind of person who humbles myself. I become the kind of person who it just feels right to empty myself. I become the kind of person who desires from my inner heart to obey. So Christ-likeness, we don't immediately decide Christ-likeness. But this is what we do decide. We can decide to enter a process of reformation. I can decide to enter a process that reshapes me, that reforms me, or transforms me. So we have this word, formation, reformation, or being reformed, because all of us have already been formed. You see, we've all been formed by sin. Our own sin, the sin all around us, the sin in our family, the sin in the society has shaped us, has wounded us, has mangled us. So we've already been formed. So the process of discipleship is a reforming. That involves unforming. Now we're beginning to get into Lent. Unforming. And a process of reforming or transforming. So who is a Christ-like person? A Christ-like person is a person who is being transformed by the teachings of Christ and the power of Christ in the person of the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed. We're being made anew. We're being made like the kind of person that Paul was writing about in Philippians 2. We can choose that. This process of reformation is discipleship to Jesus. That's what it is. That's why Jesus came. This is the job Jesus gave to the church, make disciples. This is the job he gave us. Not try to attract people to a meeting, although that has its place. But that's not the foundational thing that he gave us to do. He gave us to make disciples. How do you plant churches? Make disciples. People ask us, George and Hannah, what do you do in Germany? I, I, I don't really understand what you do. We make disciples. We're there to make disciples. Well, I thought you're there for reconciliation. Reconciliation is a fruit of discipleship. Discipleship is the foundation that yields manifestations. Reconciliation and acts of reconciliation and a life of reconciliation is a key fruit of that. Starting new churches is a fruit of that. 
Ministering to the needy is a fruit of that. The ministry of healing is a fruit of that. It all comes from discipleship to Jesus where we learn how to live life. So another way to describe discipleship is discipleship is letting Jesus teach me how to live life. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's so many voices. There's so many voices. And people are listening to the voices. You know, there was something on the New York Times yesterday. I, I, I thought about maybe I wanted to print that out and bring it this morning. Fifteen ways that you can live a successful life in 2016. This is the wisdom of the world. You know, I do remember what the first one was. The first one was wear the right kind of underwear. This is the wisdom of our day. I mean, there were other things, a lot of other things as well. Who are we listening to? And you kind of get to the point where you say, hey, everybody, there's Jesus. He's telling the truth. He's speaking the truth. He transforms people. He heals people. He forgives people. He takes people into the presence of God. The life that he came to bring, there is nothing more desirable in all the universe than the life Jesus came to bring. Listen to him. Follow him. Let him teach you how to live. This process of reformation is discipleship to Jesus. We let him teach us how life works. You know, I'm praying a prayer these days in my own prayer times. Lord Jesus, relying on you leads to peace. Relying on you leads to freedom from fear. Relying on you leads to rest. Relying on you leads to insight. Relying on you leads to wisdom. Relying on you leads to protection. Relying on you leads to healing. Relying on you leads to direction. Relying on you leads to love. Jesus, relying on you. Teach me today how to spend this day relying on you. The final thing that comes to my mind when we read this passage in Philippians, God exalted him. Jesus emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, the son of God, the king of the Jews, hanging on the cross. How incredibly tragic. Pilate said to the Jewish leaders, shall I release to you the king of the Jews? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate said to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He said, are you saying this of yourself? Or did somebody say that about you? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew. Your whole people gave you up to me. Who are you? Where did you come from? And the sign that was over the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But that wasn't the end of the story. God exalted him. So, brothers and sisters, what are our aspirations? To be successful, to get more money, to have men speak well of us, to get more degrees, to get a higher job, whatever is our aspiration. What an awesome thing to surrender all that and say, Jesus, here I am. Teach me how to live life, and I will leave it to you to exalt me in whatever way you want to, in your way and in your time. I renounce all honor for myself, and I want only the honor, Jesus, that you give to me in your way and in your time. 
God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 